The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Hello, this is your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'd like to welcome you to another segment of A Current Life, brought to you by Smart Water, Wild Things Gear, and AdSpace Small Network on the Voice America Variety Channel. I'm very proud today to introduce my special guest and my good friend, Nicholas Sparks, internationally best-selling novelist to our show. Nicholas, thank you so much for being a guest on this show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I've gotten to know you over the past few years, and I've enjoyed every minute I've spent with you, and I can vouch for our audience that when you came, uh, quite frankly, to Cincinnati, Ohio to visit me, you wowed everybody that came in touch with you, whether they were 10 years of age or 70 years of age, and you have a, an incredible uh, journey that you've been on for um, a long time with a great success, and I'm sure with ups and downs, and we're here to talk about that today. And I kind of want to start with uh, your newest book, The Best of Me, which was just released October 11th and is already number one on both the New York Times and USA Today bestsellers list, and the film rights have already been bought by Warner Brothers. So all I can say to you is that's a big wow, incredible. Thanks, thanks. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, 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 I can't say... That I'm not surprised. I think I probably would have been more surprised if it if it hadn't have gone to number one. Uh, and that's not because it's just part of the fact that most of my recent ones have gone to number one, and I and I knew what else was out there on the list, and I was like, ah, I, I, it should do. But it. But even with that said, it it it's still always a thrill. You know, I went on a, a pretty good sized tour to launch the book and finished up uh, last week and earlier this week in New York, and so it was, it was great. Well, I guess the, the question that I would ask, having read the book and enjoyed it immensely, is what was your inspiration for writing The Best of Me? It was funny. You know, this is, uh, I, I was really, when I look out at, at, at the readers of my novels, and as you said, you know, from 10 to 70 or 10 to 100, really, they read these novels. So I, I really spend a lot of time while conceiving a novel, thinking about which age group I want to target in that very large range, and then what's the best way to do that. So it had been a long time since I'd written a book with characters in their 40s, and so I said, okay, it was time again to do such a thing, and I uh, 
it was funny. I remember kind of noodling with a couple of ideas, and I get a call from Warner Brothers when I was out working in L.A., and they asked if they could meet me you know, later that afternoon, the president of the studio. So as, uh, and he said that there was a very famous actor, and he was wondering if I could come up with a story for him in the same way I did for Miley Cyrus. And I said, well, let's see what comes up. And so my agent and I, we, are, we ride from our hotel over to the Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank. It's about a half an hour ride from 1 to one thirty. One thirty, I go in and I meet the, the president, Greg Silverman, of uh, Warner Brothers Studios. And right. we talk for a little bit. He asked me... Uh, you know, if I have anything for an actor, I said, "Well, you know, this is what this is what we came up with." Because my agent and I brainstormed on the way over, and I pitched him this story that my agent and I kind of brainstormed. It was literally two minutes old. This story, and it certainly wasn't fleshed out in any way. Um, and he ended up buying it for the film rights, and that was actually a little more than a year ago. And so I hadn't written one page. Most of the genesis, the novel hadn't been fleshed out. So after that, so what I'm saying is there was kind of a twofold inspiration. You had, you want to do something in their 40s, and, you know, I pitched this story. But then the inspiration really came from the fact that I felt a bit of pressure. You know, Warner Brothers already bought it. I really wanted to give them the kind of novel that they could do a lot of things with they could go kind of a love story in their forties or right. focus more on the, their high school days. Well, you know, because, when I read it, it 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 seems that you know to me that the book's about falling in love for the first time and how sometimes you know the love can be so strong that it can cross the span of time and space and right. And I assume that's something you believe in. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, yeah, it's something. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, I write these love stories, and I think that's part of the. If I was to guess, it's one of the reasons why some people like these novels is that it, it's because I write occasionally about this, these loves that just last forever, something along those lines. Well, you know, today it seems uh, we both have children uh, growing up and and more the website world. Uh, you know, that people are reconnecting through the internet on websites like Facebook and stuff like that. How often do you think that people try to reconnect with their first love on these sites? I would say it's probably pretty frequent. I, do, I, I am not saying, though, that they're doing it because they want to get reinvolved romantically or anything like that. I think uh, the vast majority of these, these searches, just to see what's going on, you know, what's happened. They were someone who was very close to them. Maybe they haven't heard from them in years, and, and there's just a curiosity of, I wonder what they're doing with their lives. I hope they're happy. Of course, with that said... I do know other issues, you know, where they do reconnect and they realize they should have gotten married or, or they think they should. My college roommate uh, reconnected with his original high school flame, you know, maybe 10, 15, I mean, maybe about seven or eight years ago, and now they are currently married. So uh, I would probably get shot if I don't ask with so many women working in the office here. You know, you've been married to your beautiful wife, Kathy, I think for 22 years. So yeah. you have kind of the formula, the prescription for what would you say is the key to a successful marriage? Key to a successful marriage, choose well in the first place. That's your biggest key. I really, th- you know, and I know that you say, well, what does that mean? You know, I really think that uh, if, 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 and 
if, if you think about those things that couples are going to argue about, you know, things that will drive people apart, and I don't mean big issues like abuse or addiction and, and things like that, because something right. like those things happen, it's over anyway. You know, there's really nothing you can do. But other than that, you know, you know, it's pretty well documented what couples fight about. You, you know, do you? How many kids do you want to have? Do you want to have kids, right? Is the wife going to stay home and raise them, or is, or is it the career? Are you going to live in the city or the suburbs? Whose house do you go to on Thanksgiving? Her, her family's or yours? These kinds of issues. And I think if you're pretty much in sync about these big issues beforehand, uh, you're probably going to be okay. And so I'm not one of these people that, that really believe that... Um, Opposites attract if they're opposite in the big things of life. On the surface, you look at this novel, uh, The Best of Me, and you think that, oh, they're just opposite people. They were from opposite sides of the track. Right. Yes, but they were also meant you, to be You're talking together. about Amanda and Dawson, of Yeah, in, in yeah. their lives. They, you know, they were in sync in the big things in their lives. And so that's, what, that's probably the best thing you can do is to choose someone that you're in sync with um, on the big things. You know, I mean, because... You know, I've read every book you've written. I've seen the movies. And I will tell you that there's always a part, a, a particular scene or a, a, a visual in it. I know certainly in the notebook we've talked about that. And, and, and in this book, do you have a favorite scene? Do you have a scene? They, they, there's so much passion around when they finally come together, Amanda, you know, and Dawson. And, and is there a favorite scene that you have in this book? Yeah, you know, I, I, I can just see it very clearly as they're round, they've taken a drive up to uh, to handle these uh, these I guess something around the funeral that they're attending and they get in the car and they make this drive in an old classic car and turn off the road and they're going around a little dirt road dirt driveway and it's, it seems like it's leading absolutely to nowhere and in the end of course it leads to a small cottage and the cottage is very much like the one on the cover of the novel, but uh, out front, in front of that cottage, there would be all these wildflowers that had been planted as a sign of someone's love. And you know, to me, that's just a that's just a beautiful scene. You know, I, I mean, I love flowers and they were planted for Clara, butter. right? In the, and that, in the that, book, yes, that Tuck, Tuck did. Yeah, yeah. And for those in the audience who who don't understand, Tuck is uh he was really Dawson's mentor. He took Dawson in. He he was an older older gentleman. He passed away, and it's his death that brings Dawson and uh, Amanda back to the town. They're there because of Tuck's uh, funeral. But he had planted this garden for Tuck had planted this garden for his wife Clara, essentially. Well, it's a spectacular. Uh book uh and i know the majority of your audience are women but i will tell you as a man i'm not afraid to admit that i've cried many times in reading your books and in the movies especially with the notebook and this one was very touching to me because uh, it really talked about two people who really clearly loved each other for so long and 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 then you know went away from each other and then came back together again and and the ending is, is of course, a, a twist. But the uh, I recommend it highly to our listeners. And, and when we go into the second and third segment, we'll be taking callers. And uh, I should tell our audience that you've been gracious enough to sign five books of the first five callers in the second segment. Uh, when we take the callers, we'll get a signed book by Nicholas Sparks. I, I do have a question regarding the produ- production of 
uh, the best of me by Warner Brothers uh, having bought the film rights. You'll be a producer on that film along with uh, uh, our friend, collectively, Denise DeNovi, who I've worked with as well. How often is an author also a producer for the movie version of a book that he or she has written? Oh, I would say it's probably 10 to 20% of the time. It's nothing that I really had a big, massive desire that I, that I have to do. It's more for the fact that it allows a little bit more control, a little bit more control over the story, but also a lot better help in, um, let's say, co-marketing between film studios and publishing companies. It's the same reason uh, my agent, actually, Tressa Park, will be a producer as well. That doesn't Great. mean we're going to go in, elbow Denise out of the way, and say, this is how you make a movie. Oh, no, not at all. Denise is there because she actually does know how to make the movie, and obviously she'll be not only taking on the lion's shares of the responsibility, but she'll have the same, you know, Tressa and I are going to allow her the same type of create creative control she's always had because she does this very well but you know, for it, it really helps to get movie covers on to novels and that that's not just in the US but around the world you know to get a picture of Channing Tatum and Amanda Seyfried sure. on the cover when it when you're advertising Dear John look that works in Latvia and Israel and you know Saudi Arabia too so you have to but they're, everybody's on such different publishing, differing publishing schedules. So it's really just more to, I guess, grease the wheels for, for, uh, between the films and the books and um, just a little, a little bit more control over the, uh, the script itself. Well, as you know, I've spent time with your team and the people around you. You have a remarkable group of people who are dedicated to you, understand you, and know you well and uh i uh, uh are highly respected uh teresa and howie and denise and several other ones and stephanie and uh it's been a real pleasure to be involved with them and in the many things when we come back uh i want to talk a little bit about letter writing because i know in the book uh tuck writes letters to amanda and dawson to be read after he's dead and they're wise and beautifully written and i guess my question when we come back is Kind of in the day day that we're living in of electronic overload, do you lament the loss of uh, art of letter writing? So I'll ask you that question when we come back. Again, the show, uh, Current Life, is brought to you by Smartwater, uh, Wild Things Gear, and Ad Space Mall Network. And our special guest, and my very dear friend Nicholas Sparks, uh, is our guest today. And uh, we'll be taking questions in the second segment. So uh, it's time for a break. And uh, please stay with us. Thank you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Think of the world. 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 
Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Catherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Uh, this is Jimmy Gould, and today I'm joined by my very special friend and guest, Nicholas Sparks. And before we left the uh, last segment, I brought up that in the book, The Best of Me, which is on the number one bestseller list for both USA as well as New York Times, and it was just released, Tuck writes letters to Amanda Dawson that are read to be read after he uh, is dead, and they're beautifully written and wise. And in this day and age of constant electronic overload, do you personally lament the loss of art of letter writing? Yes and no. I mean, uh, well, I, I think my point is I think it's still out there. For those who, who are letter writers, they still write letters, and I, I certainly do. And I love putting a good letter into my novels. I did it with Dear John. I did it with The Notebook. I've done it with Message in a Bottle. I've done it here in The Best of Me. And I think it really... If done well, letters can add a great uh, heft to the book, so to speak. And they can also really allow you to get to know a character in that character's voice. It's kind of like a little cheat, to be quite frank. If you write in third person and third person, all of a sudden I can throw in something in its first person. And in this instance, you can hear Tuck actually talking to them. And to me, and telling his story, and to me it really draws you closer to a character. And and these letters show you why he meant so much to both Dawson and Amanda. Well, you might be surprised by what I'm about to tell you. You know me uh, over the last few years, but uh, I've actually written poems to my beautiful wife, Marcy. And I have trouble sometimes on emails because I think the email generation is a bit impersonal. I, I tend to answer emails that probably normally... Back 20 years ago, I never would have done. And so I, I, I think that it's an art form that's so deeply personal, and you capture that in the book. And, and I think it's something that I hope the younger generation 
uh, doesn't lose. And I guess I would ask you the question, uh, when was the last time that you wrote Kathy a letter? Uh, July 21st <laughs> for our anniversary on July 22nd. Well, we're, we're joined uh, by our first caller. And uh, so, Maxine, as uh, a question for Nicholas Sparks. Maxine, can you hear us? I sure can. Well, before you ask your question, I actually know Maxine, because Maxine is the Maxine Clark as the founder of Build-A-Bear, the chief executive of Build-A-Bear. And, Nicholas, I will tell you, other than maybe uh, the uh, other person on this phone, me, Maxine is one of your biggest fans in the entire world. So, Maxine Clark, meet Nicholas Sparks. Oh. Hi, Nicholas. I've been uh, wanting to meet you for such a long time. Jimmy's tried to connect us a few times, but I'm an avid reader, and I was at, just before the book came out on um, the night before it was released in the stores, I was checking my Kindle to see if it had downloaded yet because I couldn't wait to read it. So thank you for being um, such a big uh, part of my life and so many people's lives. I'm honored. Uh, Thank you. Very kind words. I appreciate it. I have a question that uh, I've been wondering about since I started reading your books. um, Mm -hmm. Is number one, well, they're so personal. And when I do my work, I'm out in the stores with customers and our store people, and that's when I'm the happiest. And I assume that your work is when you're writing. So, do you get the ideas for the characters from when you're out in the world with people, or do they just come to you? You know, do, how do you come up with such incredible people? I feel like some of them are my best, my best friends. They're so clear and uh, visual to me. Yeah, uh, yeah I, th- this is a great question. Where does this come from? That, that's the creative process that you're asking about. And I will say that in the beginning, when I when I'm starting to craft a character, I know a little bit about them. I know their age, maybe. You know, with with Amanda in the best, mm-hmm. of me. you know, I knew she was 42. I knew she was kind of in an unhappy marriage. I knew she had three children. I knew that she was struggling with the what ifs of life. That's pretty much all I knew when I writing the novel, you know, about her. Mm-hmm. And it's this little by little the, the 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 characters begin to flesh out in the way they sound, in the way in the words they choose and the things they think between in in the silent pauses, you know. That mm-hmm. it's it's this where does that come from? I don't know. I can say that I I do I as an author, like most authors, I'm sure we steal from everything we see and everything we do. I know that in some novels, some characters have been drawn, inspired by family members, for instance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so some are inspired by family, some are inspired by friends, some are inspired by, who knows, things you've seen on television or movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. You'll pull from everything, and you'll pull little parts from all these areas and then it comes out on the page, and it feels like a fresh and new character. But that's one of those questions. I, that's a tough one. I, I don't know. You know. People ask me how to write or how I do I'm like, I don't know. I sit there, and I just start typing. Well, you do it very well. Thank you for answering that question, because I know oh, that's, a, that's a hard one. But it just is, I'm sure, oh, great. like your millions of fans, you know, that all feel like one of us is in those books or that we know that person, uh, we all appreciate how how well you bring those characters to life and help them um, relate to all of us and and all of us are so different so thank you for for doing that and for um, I can't wait I'm going to read this one over the weekend and then I'll be ready for the next one so get <laughs> writing sir 
<laughs> I will. Back, right. to the, back to the grind. Thank, thank you, Maxine, for calling. And uh, it's thank still our much. plan for the three of us to get together, so I look forward to I'll that. I look forward to that, too. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. We have another caller, Nicholas. It's Cassandra from Ohio. Cassandra, can you hear me? And welcome to A Current Life. Hi. My question is for Nicholas. Yeah. What is your favorite book that you have written yourself? I think probably the favorite uh, book that I've written is uh, Three Weeks with My Brother. It was a, it was my only nonfiction book that I've written, and it was really a story about brotherhood and obviously all of the characters in that story because it's nonfiction. They're, they're, they were people in my lives, and so it was uh, it was a a book that I enjoyed writing, and it was a book that means a lot to me. If you haven't read it yet, I can tell you that people who have read everything that I've done, for uh, for a surprising number of these people, uh, a relatively high percentage, it's my, it's their favorite book of mine that has been written. So if you haven't read it, hopefully you'll like it, but for me, that's the one that, uh, that I'm closest to. Yeah, I've read all of them. So. Okay. Awesome. Did you read Three I Weeks mean, with My Brother? Yeah. That one. Okay. See, I like that one. Well, thank you for calling, Cassandra. We appreciate it very much, and we hope you'll continue to listen to A Current Life. Um, Nicholas, let me ask a question. You know, um, in the book, Back to the Best of Me, um, your former high school sweethearts, Amanda and Dawson, reconnect, I think it's after 25 years when, when Tuck dies, and they return to Oriental, North Carolina, for the funeral. One of the things that drove Amanda and Dawson apart was that they were from the opposite sides of the track. Right. Uh, do you think that those class differences are still a part of everyday life in towns like Oriental, North Carolina? Uh, in I think that in this particular case, the way I frame the story, yes. I mean, I think they're alive not only in Oriental, but they're alive in Cincinnati. I mean, Jimmy, if you had a daughter and her name was Amanda, and she says, oh, I've got this guy, and, he, and basically... He's from a criminal family, whether it's a fam, you know, a legitimately criminal family. I think you'd have a problem of that. Uh, a problem probably, with that. yes. If he was just <laughs> if he was just poor, that's a different question. You might be okay. It depends on is he a good person? Does he have drive? You know, what what motivations you can pick up. But the simple fact was is that that Dawson's family wasn't just poor. They were not good people. You know, they were a crime-ridden, moonshining, pimping, thieving, murdering family all the way back. Dawson's not like that. But even if the, even if your daughter brought him home, said, "Oh, he's not like that," <laughs> even then, I think I, I certainly have a problem with it if problem. my daughters did. You yeah. know, of course. So, um, so absolutely, I think that's the case. Um, the, I took away from the book, <clears throat> and and what I really enjoyed was the. There was a very large spiritual component to the book. I mean, you know, Tuck sees Clara's dead wife, and Dawson sees a man in a blue windbreaker, and although he's not sure who he is, you know, the reader doesn't find out until the end either. I mean, do you believe in ghosts? I do. I do. I have a ghost story. You want to hear my quick ghost story? I'm sure everybody does. (laughs) Yeah, I was in, uh, I was staying with, uh, actually, this is funny, my ex-girlfriend's parents. See, I'm one of these, uh, I've, I've known my ex-girlfriend, the first love of my life. Her name was Lisa Mills. And I remember we dated for three years when I was in high school in the first year of college. We broke up like most, like most first loves do, right? And I remember I was really sad and I went over to her parents. I said, you know, I'm really bummed about Lisa, but frankly, I'm 
<laughs> I'm as as upset about losing you guys. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You can still be in our lives. Anyway, long story short, a couple of years later, my ex-girlfriend's parents are paying for my honeymoon with my wife. And even to this day, in 24, 24 years later, I when I go to California, I stay with my ex-girlfriend's parents, with my oh. wife and five children. So... And he's a, he's a, and the father is a fabulous person. His name is Billy Mills. He's an Olympic gold medalist. Sure. From 1964, American Indian. They made a movie about him called Running Brave. Fabulous person. Anyway, we were at his house and all of a sudden, I would start seeing movement from the corner of my eye. But when I turned my head, there was nothing there. Hmm. And my wife would hear tom-toms at night. And finally, we joked. We said, Bill, I think your house is haunted. And he says, oh, you mean George the Ghost. They nicknamed him George because it was this, this series of events, lights turning on and off, doors slamming. And like I said, this movement from the corner of my eye. And I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, both my wife and I, when we were visiting, came to this I had said nothing to my wife. She'd said nothing to me. We're both experiencing these things. In the end, they think it was because of an eagle bone whistle that had been once been owned by, uh, by Black Elk, who was a very mystical Sioux. This was a gift that was given to Bill prior to the ghost's arrival by someone. Bill put it in his little American Indian museum in his house. He's got headdresses and stuff like this. Um, Finally, he said, you know, I'm just going to go give this back to Black Elk's family. He made a special trip to South Dakota, gave it to one of Black Elk's great-grandchildren, and came back home, and he says, I open the door, I walk in, I feel this big whoosh of a thank you, and ever since then, there's been no unexplained phenomena. But I experienced it. I mean, I was like, and I, you know, prior to that, I, did, I certainly didn't believe in ghosts. Even now, I'm 50-50. And yet, I saw movement from the corner of my eye, and that was where Dawson really did as well. You know, he was seeing movement from the corner of his eye. I love that in the book because, you know, you weren't sure, and it was, it was a great part of the book. Uh, we're going to take another break. We're with Nicholas Sparks, our special guest, and my dear friend. We'll come back. We'll take more questions in the next segment. Uh, this is A Current Life. Your host, Jimmy Gould, and with my dear friend, Nicholas Sparks. Thank you for listening. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. At Wild Things, we've been making alpine clothing and packs right here in the USA since 1981. In fact, we began by stitching together extremely light climbing gear that guys on the mountain were trying to make on their own. It was a big deal in 1981. Making Wild Things the gear of choice for some of the world's most demanding alpine climbers. Of course, the climbs and the climbers are now the stuff of legend. Inspiration for the next group to realize the freedom of moving over rock and ice in a fast and light way. The rest, three decades of elation, misery, epics, and near misses, we put back into everything we make. Light, durable, functional, packable. 
Wild Things gear is made and tested by those who live in it. Available exclusively at wildthingsgear.com. Stay wild. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. <clears throat> this is Jimmy Gould, and I'm here with best-selling author Nicholas Sparks and we're going to start off this segment, Nicholas. We have Mary calling. I'm not sure where she's from, but Mary, welcome to A Current Life. Hi. Um, Nicholas, I have a couple of questions for you that are related. Um, first, I wanted to know, was it your dream to always be a writer? And if it wasn't, what was your inspiration? And how hard was it to break into? I mean, was your very first novel published? Uh, okay, great questions. Uh, no, it was not my dream to be a writer. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a writer. Uh, with that said, however, I did have a relatively early start. I wrote my first unpublished novel at the age of 19 and a second unpublished novel at the age of 22. So I wrote the first one because it, when I was young, I loved track and field. That was I wanted to be an Olympian. This was my big dream in life. And Unfortunately, I got injured. So in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I couldn't run, and I was kind of going crazy. My mom got tired of it, and she said, look, don't just pout. Do something. I said, what? She said, I don't know. Go write a book. So I did. It was really the first time I'd ever considered doing that. So I wrote a novel, like I said, at 19, one at 22, and in both cases, I just wrote them to see if I could actually finish them. I wasn't even necessarily trying to make them very good, but I wanted to see if I could finish them because there's a big difference between starting something and then starting and finishing something. So years later, when I was 28 years old and I had to write the notebook, it was interesting because when I made the decision to write again, and this time I said, all right, but this time I'm going to try to write a novel as good as I conceivably can, I knew even then, before I'd written the first word, that I would finish it. And that was just one less thing to worry about in the process. So, um, to, And then to answer that question, The Notebook was really the first novel I tried to get published. And uh, though it may break your heart or upset you or surprise you, it was actually very easy for me to get an agent. The first agent who read the manuscript took it. And uh, it was actually very easy to get it published. So I, mean, I think it went up to uh, New York on Thursday and Friday, you know, going out to the editors, and it sold uh, by Monday noon. So that was 1994, right? 19. That was I. No, I wrote it in 94. That was 95. October 95. 
And then it was published October of 96, about one year lag time. Well, thank you. That's very encouraging for all of us aspiring writers out there. Absolutely. The thing, if I, if I could give any advice to you, I would just say make sure that your novel is as good as it can conceivably be. I edited the notebook. You know, it took far more time to edit the notebook than it did to write the notebook. And that was prior to then my agent going into further edits and my editor going into further edits. So uh, well, to just make it as good as it can be. Thank well, you, thank Mary. You. Thank you for your questions, and we wish you luck in the writing of your novel. Um, Nicholas, uh, I would think that anybody who saw Notebook or read Notebook had to be completely um, changed uh, by a couple scenes that I want to talk about in the Notebook. One, of course, when she visits him at the house and it begins to rain and they're out in the boat, and they kiss, and that scene was so incredibly passionate and romantic. And then at the end of the movie and the end of the book, when she realizes who she is again uh, before uh, they lay down together, uh, you know, uh, I haven't spoken to anybody that has not been touched greatly by that. And I'd like you to comment on that because it's just so phenomenally and beautifully uh, written. Absolutely. You know, as far as the first scene, I, I, when I was writing the notebook, I lived on a, I was living in New Bern, North Carolina, and I, I was living on a small creek. It was called Bryce's Creek. And it was just one of these, these southern creeks with the, the trees lining the banks and the Spanish moss and almost a, a, a chark, uh, you know, a earthy color to the water. And it would be f- as flat and still as glass. And probably, you know, I would take um, my boat out, you know, a little canoe, and I'd, and I'd go out and I'd, you know, just go out and float on this very smooth water first thing in the morning. And they had this little jutty in there uh, off the creek. I had never seen it. It took me probably, I'd been living in the house three months before I ever knew it was there. And it feeds in, and I remember floating into this little side area, and there were just all of these these swans in there. And I said, this is beautiful. And so when it came time to write the novel, of course, I wanted to, to recreate that scene with the swans and with the storm and then just this, this, this passionate love story. And so really that's where the first scene came from. And then the second scene really came from the fact that this is what the novel is all about. It's about a guy named Noah who loves a girl named Allie forever, no matter what. And the last third of the novel, the last part of the film, it's him. You understand the depth of his love, that he's reading to her, that no matter what, you know, she's, she's always going to be the most important person in his life. And, of course, he's older. He has, uh, you know, a stroke. He, these things happen. And so when he comes back and he sees her on this final scene, you know, you... He's there in the novel, of course, to slide a little poem under her pillow that he wrote for her. Right. And her eyes pop open, and she recognizes him. And it's, you know, I mean, Noah had been through so much already, you couldn't end it, you know, with uh, something sad. It just had to have a magical moment to end that novel, because that's really, I think, uh, 
what people want in their lives. It was absolute magic. And reading it and watching it and carrying it through, it brought the whole story full circle because, you know, you felt the love and the depth of that love. And I know that's something that everybody, every relationship, everybody strives for. And it's so hard. I mean, um, you know, marriages are hard and relationships are hard. And we live in a and a day and age today where there's just so much going on, it's so complex, and I think we take a lot for granted, and that was so simplistically well put together because it was just pure, the purity of it, the innocence of it, and the depth of it was just brilliant. It really was brilliant. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm honored. I, uh, I'm honored. It's funny. The notebook, um, if there are people out there who just despise that novel. Uh, you know, uh, what can you do? For me, it, it was a story of my wife's grandparents, and I really wanted to honor their memory. And 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 it, there's a magic to that story that I think I'll probably be chasing the rest of my career. I mean, I've written a lot of very well-known novels. They've all been bestsellers, lots and lots and lots of movies. But there's a magic to the notebook that is just impossible to deny. Well, I'm sure I'll be criticized when I run for office, which, of course, I have no intention of doing. But I will tell you, we would be far better off if every man read the notebook and every man could feel those feelings. And we would probably have, hopefully, a little bit less war, and a little bit less chaos, and maybe we would figure out a lot of the problems that we're all seeing in the world today. Because I think a lot of hope, and there's a, a lot of hope has been lost. There's a lot more despair. There's a lot of, obviously a lot more people out of work and dissatisfied. And I know oh, yeah. you and I have talked about this. It's just, it's so important to have dreams and to have hope in your life because it's what propels you every day you get up and, and helps you overcome the fears and the struggles of everyday life. And I think you've contributed greatly to that passion that is so important in anyone's life. And I, I commend you for that. I really do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let me, let me ask you, <clears throat> along those lines, a couple of questions. Um, who were your greatest influencers, and, and how did they help you develop into the person you are today? Uh, there were a couple. Of course, you know, my parents, they were, they were good people. I, I mean, my mom was full of love, and my dad was, was always there and it might say oh it sounds like i'm sliding my dad and i'm not trying to do that my dad was not the hey son let's go play ball in the front yard kind of father he just wasn't and yet he was always there he was in the house there was a lot of comfort and security because of that simple point and 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 my mom was just an effervescent personality and so you know I had that. After that, it was uh, probably Bill Mills, Billy Mills. Uh, you know, it was he lived in my hometown. He was an Olympic gold medalist. I wanted to be a runner, and you know, this is someone who'd actually reached the pinnacle. And he's someone who's very kind. He's he's been known to, I guess, taken strays. I mean, that's what we call it. it basically. People will be in trouble, and somehow right. Bill finds a way to hate, help them somehow. And this is something that my wife and I have kind of replicated in our own lives, whether it's with the track team we coached or people who stay here or Stephanie, as you know, she lives here at the house. So, I mean, it's just, um, you know, it, it was very influential. Then, of course, it, it's the people that I work with. I've been very fortunate that I've I work with very bright, creative people, and that is 
that has been one of the great blessings in my life. And I follow their lead, they follow mine, and it's a great synergistic teamwork. And so you have all of that, and you know your wife and everything like that. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, these those relationships that are closest to you in everyone's lives are most likely those that shape who you are. Uh, I agree, and I think that it's not that sometimes it's one person or it's a combination of forces that uh, come together. Uh, we have about thirty seconds. I just want you to think about this question: that is, really, what your greatest obstacle was that you faced, you know, as you were on your journey. Uh, this show is really about the journey. It's not about sure. you from the top, and it's really to encourage people to go after their dreams and. To know that it's not easy. Nothing that you want badly is easy. And uh, I'd like you to talk in this last segment that we'll come back to after the break about some of those obstacles that you faced, some of those moments that were difficult that you persevered, and then talk a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about you know your personal life, your your sure. incredible success in running, and um, you know I just want to thank everybody for listening to a current life. This is Jimmy Gould with my special guest and dear friend Nicholas Sparks. We'll see you in a second. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. You were born a visionary. How do you get closer to your personal vision? Tune in to Visionary Radio with Giselle. Our program is all about evidence-based positive change. Giselle and her guests will bring you stories of positive visions achieved, hope and renewal designed to inspire you in ways that matter in your life, in ways that last and bring you closer to who and where you want to be. This program is for and about real people. And we want you to be a part of it, too. Tune in to Visionary Radio with Giselle every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Hello, everybody. You're listening to A Current Life, and I'm here with best-selling author Nicholas Sparks. Uh, before we left, for the break, uh, I asked you to think about what was really the, or what were some of the specific obstacles that you faced on your journey to achieve the greatness and uh, as an as an author and novelist that you are today. 
Um, there's so many. There are so many. That's what that's what's so crazy about it. You know, if, if looking looking from the outside toward my career, it seems oh wow, it's all been very blessed, and and it has certainly. But I, I graduated from college. I thought I was going to go to law school. I, I didn't get accepted to any law schools, so I spent the next three years waiting tables at night till I was 25 years old. Um, while I do did other things during the day, whether it was real estate appraisal or buying and selling little investment property or trying to start my own business and, you know, a failed, 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 failed all the way along the line. I was still paying my bills, but by then I was married. I had children. Finally, I, I, I come and, um, you know, I, I, I become a pharmaceutical sales representative. That goes well. My life is, a, is pretty stable on that end, but I just didn't feel like I was chasing any dreams anymore, and that's why I write the notebook. But even though you know, I had a previous caller here who says, you know, how did you persevere or get an agent, and you know, how hard was the process? Well, getting an agent for me wasn't that that hard, and getting a publisher wasn't that hard. But that's what people think are the hard parts about this industry, and they're not. There is really only one super duper duper hard part, and that is having the books sell out of the stores. You know, to customers, having someone actually take their hard-earned money and buy your book, especially if you're an absolutely unknown author. I mean, right now it's a little easier for people who know me. They know the 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 the, the product. They know what they're going to get. But back for the notebook, who knew me? You didn't know that the book was any good. And then how was I supposed to get the word out? I think I went out on a fifty-city tour. I was gone pretty much from September through December. Um, I mean, I traveled all the time trying to convert people, you know, trying to get people to buy this book. I mean, when I was in Miami, one person shows up. In an hour and a half, one person. In, In San Francisco, one person shows up. And then after you do that, then you have to write a second novel, and hopefully that all the people who liked your first one like your second one just as much. It has been a... uh it has been a journey, Jimmy. <laughs> it has been one that I've really tried to keep both the the, the close project at the front of my man uh, in, in the front of my mind, within the context of what are you trying to do for your career. Was there a wow moment in your career where it just something just hit you? Maybe when you you know decided to write the notebook, or was there a particular moment that you can look back on and went wow? Uh, you know, it was exciting when I uh, sold the film version to uh, Message in a Bottle, you know, the first time, because I sold it when the novel was only halfway done. Uh, of course, a big wow moment when, they, when I heard from, the, from my agent that a publisher had made an offer. You know, these are little wow moments, and, and they're great, and, and they help feed and nourish you along the way. But they certainly don't mean that, okay, you're done, you can rest on your laurels now. I can tell you that you know the best of me was an incredibly challenging novel to write, and you know even after I've written sixteen books, it was just a struggle to get these character voices accurate, to get the the structure just right, and it was a painful process. You know, I asked Maxine Clark last week, the founder of Build a Bear, how many bears that she'd made. Uh-huh. She told me a hundred million. And yeah. I guess I'm going to ask you, how many books have you sold? 
Oh, that's a tough number. I think uh, six months ago it was around close to eighty million. Wow! And so you you don't know. Uh, so probably eighty two, eighty three right now, something like that. It's really so when you were there in nineteen ninety four, starting out in the Notebook. I think that was the year you said when you first yeah, started. When I started writing, May of nineteen ninety four. Yeah. What was what was the driver at that time? You were selling uh, as a pharmaceutical salesman, and you sat down to write the notebook, and here yeah. you write this unbelievable book, and you sell it right away, and you don't have any of the problems that sometimes people encounter with, of people not taking them seriously or anything. What 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 happened at that moment? What was it inside of you that defined that? Well, back then, you know, in 1994, I just really felt like I was living my life from day to day. I wasn't there was there was no greater purpose to it. There was I wasn't chasing a dream and and dream chasing and 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 confronting challenges and and trying to do something that hadn't been done. You know, those things I guess drive me. They're just part of the nature of my personality. Is I like a good challenge and I like to chase dreams. And so that's what really set in motion, I guess my entire career. It's funny. I, I don't necessarily love writing. I, I, there are many days I don't like it at all. Yet, the nature of my personality says you, I do like a challenge. I love a challenge, and this is the biggest challenge in my life. So let me go face that down again. For instance, when I get onto, when I sit down and I begin writing my next novel, the first thing I say to myself is, I want this one to be better than anything I've ever written. Right. Well, now there's a challenge. I mean, that's a hard challenge. Well, you, we should talk about a little bit about that. In fact, uh, <clears throat> along that line, probably people may not be aware, but you were the valedictorian of your high school class. You received a full-track scholarship to the University of Notre Dame, where you broke the school relay record as a freshman, which I think still stands. Yep. And then you went on to graduate with high honors. And I guess the question that maybe some people would ask is, uh, uh, you know, did you ever have a bad grade? Did you ever lose a big race? Was there something that you were not particularly good at? Because when people read the 83 million books, they're reading, you know, uh, something spectacular that really changes their lives. I've talked to so many women, young and elderly, who just, <clears throat> you know, just are just can't wait for that next book by you to come out. And, and you've changed their lives. You've really affected them. What was it that you weren't good at? Oh gosh! Look, oh, yeah. I have a whole bunch of uh, projects going on right now. You know, whether it's you know doing some stuff for Broadway or for doing stuff for television or more film. I've got I've got books, and and yeah, I'm I'm new in a lot of these areas, so I'm not necessarily good at those. Do you have a tendency to to know when I'm not good at something? I don't have really have an ego that assumes I'm good at everything because I know I'm not. So I, I tend to work with good people, and, and I'll go. But look, I, I mean, lots of my novels haven't sold for television. Lots of them, right? I mean, you, and you could say, for instance, that uh, unless the best of me is your favorite novel of mine that I've ever written, that I failed because, you know, I was trying to write the, everybody's favorite book. Well, I can assure so, everybody on this show you didn't fail. It's a phenomenal book. Uh, one question that I do have that I would like to leave our listeners with is what advice can you leave with our younger listeners that aspire to follow their dreams in life and become successful 
Sure. You know, it's, I, I will tell you, it's, um, it's always the same things. You know, it is, you have to work incredibly hard and you will, it, it is never a straight journey. It is never a straight line. You will have to overcome obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. I certainly do in my own career. I know you did. It's just the nature of it. But I think the ones that are successful are those that keep going and then they learn from their mistakes. Well, I'm going to thank them. you. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. I'm going to invite you back. I want to thank Nicholas Sparks on A Current Life. Uh, it's been an unbelievable pleasure. I want to welcome our guest next week will be Frederick H. Marison, my lifelong closest friend and business partner known as a leading entrepreneur and Broadway producer. And until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with much hope, inspiration, success. Nicholas, you are phenomenal, and you are a dear friend, and I thank you so much on behalf of our audience and on behalf of me and A Current Life. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week.